0: Sign up today at ButcherBox.com Conspirituality and use code Conspirituality to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch
2: your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling
0: Derek here from Conspirituality, and you might be able to break the cycle of doom scrolling on Elon Musk's haunted Twitter by tuning into the Crooked Media Podcast. Offline with John Favreau. I have been a Crooked Media fan since the company was founded, and I'm really excited to be talking about Offline because it's a different kind of Sunday show. It's a chance to step outside our social media-fueled news cycles and hear smarter, lighter conversations about how chronically online existence shapes the way that we live, work, and interact with the world around us. Each week, John Favreau is joined by notable guests like Stephen Colbert, Hassan Piker, ContraPoints, Margaret Atwood, what? All for intimate conversations about how to live happier, healthier lives, both on and offline. New episodes of Offline with Jon Favreau drop every Sunday, wherever you get your podcasts. everyone, welcome to Conspirituality, where we investigate the intersection of conspiracy theories and spiritual influence to uncover cults, pseudoscience, and authoritarian extremism. I'm Derek Barris.
3: I'm Matthew Remsky. I'm Julian Walker. I'm Jake
1: Rokotansky. And I'm Travis View. Oh,
0: those are some familiar names. We are on Instagram at Pod, And of course, you can access our Monday bonus episodes through Patreon or Apple subscriptions. I want to mention really quickly, I
4: was recently on The Jordan Harbinger Show to talk about our book, Conspirituality. We had a great conversation. Please check that out. Conspirituality 166, QAnon Anonymous, goes to Hollywood with Travis View and Jake Warkotanski. Six years ago, a 4chan user calling themselves Q started LARPing as a deep state insider with predictions about Hillary Clinton and the pedophile Cabal. Ten months after that, the extremely online anti-fascist world assembled its emergency podcast response team. Three dubiously credentialed shit posters, two using pseudonyms themselves, dedicated to covering, in their words, the best conspiracy theories of the post-truth era. Exploring online fever swamps and tripping over deranged historical facts that make conspiracy theories sound sane. The digital soldiers of QAnon Anonymous podcast subjected themselves to the most cursed content the internet has to offer. But the real world they traveled through was just as smelly. They went to live QAnon protests and parades and conferences. They conducted the first interviews with the QAnon shaman. They attended ball-slapping workshops to raise their testosterone for the Great Awakening. They caught COVID many many times all for the cause and now as their reward they get to see their favorite red-pilled celebrity and Mel Gibson's favorite personal Jesus Jim Caviezel star in the fakeumentary Sound of Freedom. It's been a long road to Hollywood for our guests Travis View and Jake Rokotansky but this is their red carpet moment where we get to ask them how did they like working on this show?
3: Welcome, Jake and Travis. It's so great to see you finally and to have you on. Hey, it's a it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yes. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah,
4: we started Conspirituality a couple of years after QAA. And I just want to say you guys really blazed the trail. And we've been really appreciative of your work.
3: Yeah. And I hope you don't mind. I, I'm going to open with just a little bit of adulation. Uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that like my own intellectual, I would say emotional, even moral life has been like changed by your work in a positive way. Uh, Travis, you bring this like world weary gumshoe reporting into this bizarre landscape. And Jake, you bring this like very big, prepubescent, like my voice is just breaking wonder and disgust to uh, the movie like spectacle of QAnon and Julian who will get on soon sometime uh, he brings his leftist Doddism. <laughs> so I wanted to start with how this mashup came together. My understanding, Jake is that you and Julian were friends first uh, and that you were starting to collaborate on a gaming podcast. So obviously that would have also had some cultural and existential edge to it, right? Yeah, so so we started because
2: Julian and I had a mutual friend who he had met in France and who I had worked with in a uh, uh, an unnamed retail uh, clothing store uh, who I had remained friends with for you know for years after 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 we had both long been uh, you know long quit uh, or or fired in some cases um and you know, she was basically she basically said, Hey, I've got this friend. He's, he wants to do this, this video game show and he wants to do this kind of weird sort of, uh, inclusive take on, on gaming journalism and culture. And he asked me if I knew anybody here and, uh, uh she recommended me and so i met julian for coffee we went to his friends like craft cold brew pop up and uh i immediately got a panic attack from the uh from the caffeine in the coffee and about 10 minutes into the meeting i left cuz i was like yeah man i'm i'm having a panic attack i got to go and julian was so cool about it he went oh oh, oh dude yeah of course i understand yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk later and uh and then we ended up working on this this uh gaming journalism show slash we built a website there was a whole thing we worked on it probably for about two years um there weren't a ton of listeners it didn't really go anywhere, and eventually we kind of. As the world seemingly got darker and darker, we were wanting to pivot and we were wanting to do something that was uh, that had a focus on sort of cursed futurism, popular culture, tech, all of those worlds kind of intertwining. And... um we were trying to figure it out. We had this idea. We were going to call it Hell Mountain, you know, you know, and 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 then I discovered QAnon through my regular, you know, our conspiracy subreddit, which, you know, I I, I follow. I, I was an enjoyer of conspiracy theories, you know, as a, a writer and, a, you know, storyteller. I was always looking in, you know interesting places to find, you know, potential content and, and, and stories or inspiration. And um, I noticed that everybody in this like subreddit and, and other, you know, other sort of conspiracy areas, ne- I was never on the chance. I was never, uh, I was always too scared to go to a place like that. I knew what it was, but it was just something that I figured that if I logged in without a VPN, you know, they would hack my credit card information. You know, I'm, you know, very kind of, t- technically an internet unsavvy, uh, believe it or not. And, um, yeah. And so I was talking to Julian and I said, do you, you know, I was, we were talking on Xbox live one night and I said, do you know what, have you heard about this thing called QAnon? And he was like, no, what is it? Tell me. And I tried to explain (laughs) as best as I tried to explain it as best as I could. And right then he said, you know, and, and it seemed to tap into this, you know, it seemed to tap into this kind of, you know, this sort of topic that we were trying to figure out how to approach. And here was a, you know, here was this kind of weird example of it. And um, we looked online, we we searched if there were any podcasts about QAnon. There wasn't, there was nothing. Uh, and we recorded about six episodes, which was us just kind of arguing back and forth about whether or not this could be real and, you know, who who was it? Well, you know, just just sort of going over the basic sort of tenets of what what even is this thing that's sort of seeping out, you know, from the depths of 4chan um, we noticed there was there was you know another there was another guy on on Twitter who was talking about this you know one of the very few people at the at you know at the beginning of this um and it was travis and we invited him to our our little hot studio in julian 's apartment as a guest and afterwards. I don't know. I think maybe you guessed it one more time, Travis. I think we had you on twice as a guest. And Julian said, look, we we got to bring this guy in. This is this is the dynamic. This this is the sh- this is the show. And yeah, and then Travis became a host, and those first six episodes got deleted. <laughs> and here we
1: are. <laughs> so at the time, yeah, I was I was working at a um, like a marketing and software company down in San Diego, and um, I had I had this uh, Twitter account under a fake name that I used to like you know shit post and comment or whatever. And uh, I, I guess I also had a I got a longstanding interest in fringe beliefs since like college when when I was introduced to uh, young Earth creationism. You know, the idea that you know there's this community of people who believe that the Earth is six to ten thousand years old, and you know I, I just it blew me away at the time because, because of like it wasn't just that I was wrong; it was like extremely wrong. It was like you know considering that the Earth is actually four and a half billion years old is is akin to thinking that the distance between LA and New York is about 26 feet. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, I was always always interested in this belief and these, these kinds of beliefs. And then I happened upon QAnon, I started tweeting about it and, um, I, I guess I I grew, I grew a a little bit of a a following and it was like in July and, um, like August, of, uh, t- uh, 2018. And uh, occasionally people would like ask me to comment on this. And I would say yes, every single time. Cause usually when I develop an interest in one of these things, no one wants to talk to me about it. <laughs>
2: um, but,
1: uh, uh, but, uh, but, uh, in this particular one, people seemed interested enough in what I had to say to ask me. So, and so, yeah, J- Julian was just one of a handful of people who was like, Oh, Hey, you want to talk about this thing that has been consuming your mind for the last couple months on, on our podcast. I said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. I'll, I'll drive up to LA. It was about like, like, it's like, it's like a two hour drive from where I was. Um, and so, um, and so yeah, that's, that's how I, that's how I met up with them. So
3: I'll ask, I'll ask your Julian about this separately, but Jake, you said that he said, "Oh, this is the dynamic." Mm-hmm. Uh, what What's like the 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 basic elevator pitch on what you feel that dynamic is? I mean, I'm I'll be totally upfront. I you know, I when I first started looking into
2: QAnon, um, I was kind of pilled on it. Not on like the right wing politics aspect. We were fresh off of what felt like a kind of let's say, unceremonious and and potentially uh, sus sort of like ending to Bernie Sanders' campaign uh, through the DNC. And I was very upset about that. I was really, you know, really hoping that this guy, you you know, would would push through. And what interested me about QAnon was this idea that if the intelligence agencies – didn't want a particular, you know, didn't want a particular candidate uh, that they would cut corners uh, to make sure that that happens. I mean, if you look at a long line of uh, both, you know, local and federal uh, sort of law enforcement, this is not anything that's sort of out of the ordinary. Um, And so I was approaching it from that perspective. Julian, uh, you know, as as a lefty, you know, was also not a huge fan of the intelligence agencies and was willing to kind of meet me sort of halfway on that in, in this struggle to sort of figure out what was, what could be true and, and what wasn't. And Travis is, is a tried and true skeptic and a stoic. And so him uh, sort of existing as the arbiter between this conversation of somebody who is uh, wanting to believe and and wanting to, you know, wanting to find an explanation uh, for the things in the world that are unexplainable sometimes uh, and, and somebody who is, you know, well-versed in in lefty politics and has a great, underst- you know, much better understanding of, of history than, than I do. You know, I was a theater major, so you know, take that for what you will. Um, that sort of emerged as the Dynamic is 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 and 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 honestly, the being friends with the two of them and doing the show um, in a lot of ways probably saved me from going further and further down the rabbit hole because I started to look at things through a skeptic percep- perception. I started to learn uh, learning more about lefty politics, politics. Uh, uh, allowed a healthier outlet uh, for some of the anger I was feeling about the current sort of status quo of of each political party and so I kind of think that that dynamic has sort of persevered you know i'm definitely and unfortunately and sometimes it's sad because i i miss i miss because I look at everything now you know very skeptically it's it's like when you're a screenwriter and you go to the movies mm-hmm. and you're breaking down every bit and you're going okay well here's the, the okay there's what they're trying to do okay here's the act break yada, yada, yada. it sort of ruins them for you um but i i i feel like that's kind of still where where we are you know i want to you know i want to believe julian's willing to hear you know to hear me out um and 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 travis <laughs> comes in with the hard the you know the gumshoe like you like you were saying <laughs>
4: The origin story is great. All right. So you guys drop your first episode in August of 2018. Um, Obviously Q's been posting for, for some eight months or something that August, 2018 month is the same month in which the world starts to see the first cable news footage of these enthusiastic, like merch wearing sign, waving QAnon folks at Trump's rally. And, and the first one is in in Tampa, Florida. Um, At that point, about ten months or so into the Q drops, in the aftermath of PizzaGate, I'm wondering: Are, are you looking at this and saying, "This fringe digital conspiracy cult"? really could have some legs. It could keep growing. It could fantasticize. It could become impactful, not only in American politics, but, you know, something that people around the world take an interest in.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I, what really got me first interested in QAnon was the observation that it seemed to be breaking out of the bowels of the Internet and into sort of mainstream conversations. And what really did that for me was seeing that uh, Charlie Kirk, who is, a you know, very much uh, mainstream writer. Uh, Commentator and activist, uh, he tweeted out some bogus uh, statistics about um, the uh, human trafficking arrests that originated with with QAnon, and and I I saw that I saw basically he claimed that he's he, uh, that he has some uh, stats about how often Trump was arresting human traffickers uh, compared to Obama, and he claimed that these stats came from the Department of Justice, and I happened to know right away it was bullshit because the Department of Justice. Doesn't actually uh, immediately release arrest statistics. It actually takes them years uh, before they uh, arrest the, those kinds of numbers. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tracked where they really came from. And I found out they came from QAnon. It was it wasn't just the fact that uh, you know QAnon was making up this this nonsense. It struck me that 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 this QAnon nonsense was being amplified and laundered by someone with hundreds of thousands of views who talks over the country, who appears on Fox News, who met with the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, that. That really struck me. It was like, oh my God, this thing is 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 uh, is gaining more influence and clout than it should. And so that's sort of what made me take, I guess, a real focused uh, interest in the subject matter. And then uh, about, I said that that same month it was it was July. 2018, it was when that Tampa rally happened, where all of a sudden all these Q people were uh, made themselves very visible. They wore Q, we are Q shirts, and, and then that was just further evidence to me that's like wow, this is thing is again breaking out of the internet and then onto uh, into the minds of mainstream Republican pundits and into Trump rallies and into the physical world. And um, I, I saw the I saw the you know the the trajectory, and that that's what really made me take um, you know a, a more I guess serious interest in the subject matter.
4: I don't know if I'm remembering it accurately. This could be my mind revising it, but I'm picturing like this tracking shot, you know, in a stadium across These joyful people who are having their moments of like, yes, we made it. We're here. We're in the front of the Trump rally. and We're holding up these signs. It's just wild.
2: Yeah, that was very bizarre to see it sort of come come out of the, you know, come off the screen in in such a real way and and in such staunch support of Trump. Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to be big from a much more personal level because, one, I was susceptible to it. And I had been a lifelong liberal, you know, the the idea of entertaining any kind of conservative ideology was just something I never, ever imagined for myself. And, you know, you reading it and following it and starting to feel like, oh, man, man, I wonder if there, I wonder if there's something here. I knew it was I knew I knew that it, it had the potential uh, to to, you know, so to speak, pill a lot of people. But also uh, from a storytelling perspective, this was you. You know, in the in the early days, um, you know it was exciting. It was, you know, high level, you know, or, you know uh, claimed to be high level intelligence that was seeping out through coded messages, you know, on, on this, you know, anonymous sort of message board and, you know, making these wild claims like, you know, Hillary Clinton was about to be arrested or had already been arrested and that the entire establishment was about to be dismantled. From a story perspective, it was it was big. And, and like we talked about, you know, ad nauseum on the podcast, you know, there was this almost kind of Tom Clancy element to it. Everybody who followed it felt like they had inside knowledge or that they were themselves, you know, in a weird way, part, part of the intelligence community, you know, and for people, you know, I, myself, I I wasn't in like a really great place in my life. I was working, you know, really kind of grueling, uh, assistant jobs and, uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money and I, a lot of my friends were, you know, d- doing really well. They had found careers, they had found partners, they were becoming adults and I was sort of lost. And, you know, I, I think that for people that are you know, desperately looking for some kind of meaning or an explanation maybe of why your life isn't going the way you sort of thought it was when somebody comes along and says the entire system is rigged against you and we are about and we're about to fix it. That is incredibly compelling. So I I think from, you know, on the one hand, we had no idea how big it would get, but we did know. And Travis, you know, we would we would always, you know, uh, You know, maybe on the show, but certainly in private conversation to to one another, kind of have this belief that it was it was we didn't know how bad it was going to get, but it was going to keep getting worse. Um, There was there was no sign that this was kind of
4: a passing trend. Yeah, and so we come to the party, you know, a a couple years later, and we're noticing the that QAnon style of thinking and and posting is showing up on Facebook and Instagram in the yoga and wellness space. Absolutely. Yeah, so at what point in your coverage of the phenomenon are you noticing, "Oh, there's a kind of offshoot here that now has a connection to new age beliefs?"
1: Well, I mean, yeah, we 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 first did our episode about what we called like the the new age to QAnon pipeline in early 2020, and it's mostly because we noticed a lot of these these people who did, you know, um, yoga and health uh, topics on Instagram started getting really deeply into QAnon. And, um, you know, it's like other, other people have, uh, noticed this, for example, there's the, uh, the, the scholar, uh, Mark Andre Argentino, who actually did his, uh, a PhD thesis on QAnon, uh, dubbed this pastel QAnon, because it's like, you know, it's the, it's the QAnon, uh, uh sort of story, but a lot softer and a lot more, um, a lot more, I guess, um, a lot more, uh, appealing to middle-class women in some, in some ways. Um, and, um, yeah, it's like, when you, when you look back, you do kind of realize that a, a lot of the sort of the core, I guess, uh, QAnon myth um, is sort of like already has a lot of elements that are uh, kind of New Agey and appealing to um, that th- that kind of mindset. You now, first and foremost, is this belief that well, that we are literally on the cusp of a new age, that you know, there's going to be a great awakening, and that there's going to be this, um, it, even though that ha- that has a you know a history of sort of American Protestant kind of beliefs. Right? The way they talked about it is this sudden. Change where society is just going to become more, you know, higher and more enlightened and more together and more peaceful, and all these things that have been sort of like you know a t- tying down humanity for generations past—disease and war and and fighting and um, like a political strife and all these things that uh, that are ugly are about to end because we're going to raise the awareness about all the evils and what's causing it, and um, you know that's that's that, that belief obviously has a very you know kind of like. Age of Aquarius, kind of uh, ring to it.
2: The intersection seemed plausible because within the New Age community and sort of holistic health and you know all of that sort of stuff, there there was also this kind of healthy distrust of the government which was that they're they're not sharing with you the 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 real ways to maintain your body and soul and mind and here are these alternative methods and so i i you know for for me i always thought that that was the the in was that they shared this sort of idea that the government had been you know had been keeping vital information from you um, and so naturally when somebody like that discovers Q and I, you know, cause if you already believe that the government is, is, you know, hiding these cures or these, uh, you know, uh, sort of, uh, holistic, uh, sort of remedies. Um, and, you know, because they, uh, you know, because there is such a, a, a huge relationship with, the uh, big pharma companies, which, which is true to, you know, to some extent, you know, but, you know, wondering what else they're hiding from you, I think is, is a natural next step. And instead of having to wonder it yourself, here's here's somebody that you can't verify if they're credible or not. you just know that a lot of people are following it uh, that that is giving you the answers to that question.
0: One thing that cuts across I think all of our work are these religious or spiritual undertones and a few questions I've had on my own work is like what does a religion in virtual reality look like like how does a cult leader gain and maintain control like is indoctrination possible in online or virtual spaces? But a unique aspect of Q is that it's effectively leaderless. So I'm wondering what markers of a religion... You know, Travis, you said Age of Aquarius. We've been dancing around these ideas. But what markers have you noticed, if any, from how Q
1: formed and how it's evolved? There's lots of elements of sort of like uh, cult-like thinking. Uh, one of the, you know, the, one of the core ones is um, it, it sort of like fosters uh, this distrust in any kind of information source that might possibly contradict it. I mean, you don't, uh, you know, you don't literally have to physically um, sort of like uh, prevent someone from seeing information that might contradict you. As long as you get them to believe that if you they do come across from so, some information that might contradict what you say, it comes from a corrupt source. And this is something that you know Q has done a lot. And there's also this belief that in uh, sort of in any instance that in which uh, someone criticizes or attacks QAnon or QAnon followers, that's evidence that they're right. The only reason they get pushback or any uh, you know um, counter arguments is simply because they're on the right track. They call this, you know, you're, you're over the target. And of course, this this is, is this bizarrely unfalsifiable kind of position because like if they, if they are criticized for completely legitimate reasons, it recontextualizes that and the prove that there's no such thing as legitimate criticism. And the only reason that this is happening is further proof that you're right. So it creates this, I don't know, this ratcheting system mm-hmm. that, pr- that sort of pushes people further and further and further into this indoctrinated thinking. And, um, you know, doesn't, allow them to, you know, to climb out at all. I think
2: that that one thing that QAnon provided in and it, especially in terms of of existing sort of solely on the Internet initially is um, a sense of community. Um, QAnon was able to bring together, it, you know, it was able to use a lot of the greatest hits of conspiracy theories to, to sort of bring together a lot of different types of conspiracy theorists under one tent. That's why Travis has referred to it, uh, you know, oftentimes as the big tent big tent conspiracy. And uh, you know, as you siphon on, and, you know, and Q, the whoever was posting his Q encouraged this, you know, you know, to to get together, to bake, to decode. You know, that was a lot of the, the participation when it came to You know, people who were following QAnon closely. It was, you know, a lot of it, you know, in the beginning at least, was you're watching a movie. Don't, don't worry. Like we're going to take, we're going to do the action, but it's up to you to sort of decode the message. And I think that that naturally brought people together in Discord chats, uh, Telegram groups, uh, uh, Twitter, you know, Twitter DM groups and uh, provided a, a sense of community, a bunch of people who sort of believe in the same thing that you do, and you're all working together to, you know, crack a puzzle that doesn't really have an answer. Um, And uh, to me, I think that in some ways that mirrors religion, uh, you know, as it, you know, in, in the ways that religion is kind of healthy. You know, I, when I was growing up, I went to synagogue. It was a community. There were, I had friends that I knew who I went to Hebrew school with. We shared this special connection, mostly complaining about, you know, how boring Hebrew school was. Um, but there is that element. And if you're a, you know, if you're kind of lonely online and like I was saying before, maybe things, you know, IRL aren't going so great, you know, being surrounded by a group of people that are all so excited and getting together and talking about this and decoding it and all of that stuff I, I I think that in a way it 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 mirrors maybe some of the healthier aspects about religion, but with a belief system that is you know in, inherently negative
3: well jake i'm I'm glad that you brought up the 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 individual and heroic interest that digital soldiers can take as they pursue the meaning of the drops because I think that partly answers the question of leaderlessness, that Everybody, in a sense, becomes a leader. Everybody becomes deputized to figure out the truth, not by actually doing anything in the world, but by or it, or, you know, the most that they'll do is post. They'll 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 contribute to the posting culture, but everybody allows is allowed to be a leader in some sense. And that's very new with regard to, you know, cultic behaviors and dynamics. I don't think we've seen that before. Very difficult for the old school cult theorists to understand, actually. Yeah.
0: My first job in New York city was as a crossword puzzle editor. And one thing that we were told was that we had to create a lot of easy clues in the earliest puzzles and then month after month. So people would keep buying because they would have a sense of accomplishment. And then you can start to make them ch- You can challenge them more down the line, but to keep them bought in, you had to make them feel like they were always making progress. Uh, but speaking of New York, before we move on to sound of freedom, and I'm a little surprised you said you weren't uh techie, Jake, because I still don't really know what a Twitch is. <laughs> and I, I know you, you, you've lived in that space. But recently, Union Square has historically been a place where the, the, the progressive gatherings happen. George Floyd, like anytime there's a murder, any, you know, that's that space I spent most of my time in New York in that area but we just had an influencer incite a riot there, or at least be charged with inciting a riot. And I'm wondering what kind of crossover you see with an event like this, where someone who's charismatic, who has a following in the gaming world that I honestly don't know too much about can rile up a crowd to violence. And does that cross over with any of the figures that you cover on the podcast?
2: Mm, that's a really good question. don't know. I don't think that it's impossible Um But at least from what we've seen, in terms of you know, I mean, at least in in the Twitch sort of space, there are absolutely some uh, you know Q QAnon. Uh, uh, QAnon, uh, Twitch streamers uh, like Red Pill Seventy Eight, and um, you know, there's a a handful of others who don't necessarily stream on Twitch. They'll stream on D Live or they'll stream on um, you know, a, a, a different sort of network. But those tend to be sitting at home talking about, don't worry guys, it's all unfold, you know, it's all going to unfold as, uh, you know, as it's supposed to, and we're just sort of here tracking it and, and enjoying it together. You know, we're sitting back with our popcorn. Now, when you get to some of the, higher levels, uh, you know, talking about Q-pilled politicians or, you know, people like uh, uh, Michael Flynn, uh, you are getting people out into the world. And obviously, as we saw with with January 6th, you you know, uh, that is a a perfect example of of this kind of ideology, these communities coming out of the Internet, getting together and causing uh, real world violence. Um, I don't. I don't know if a if a QAnon influencer is um, like I I don't know if Red Pill 78 is uh, ambitious enough to get together like 500 PS5s and you you know uh, uh, you know sort of get out into the world and 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 give them away because it's it's not a it's not about that it's you know, to them that might like something like that might seem in inconsequential because it's, it, you know, it's promoting something that is going to potentially get them away from baking qanon stuff if you if you if you get you know you get a brand new ps5 you you pick up a copy of final fantasy 16 you know you might just be sitting and trying to beat the game and instead of going to 4chan or telegram or whatever you're going to ign to look up guides um so i think uh, on the one hand you know it is it is sort of every qanon influencers uh Uh, sort of prerogative to, to keep people focused on that uh, and not encourage them to enjoy uh, other things that the internet has to offer, unless it is adjacent uh, sort of conspiracy sites or influencers or products, uh, the prepper, you know, prepper stuff, uh, you know, that, that kind of shit. Um, So I'm, I'm not sure if if, if, cause I, I'm sure these guys are probably doing fairly well on their own without having to leave their, you know, their bedroom or their studio where they're streaming at. Um, and I, I, I can't, I mean, it, it remains to be seen, but, uh, my, my instinct is no, but you know, and I'm sure as, as Travis will, will, will follow up with there, there are obviously, uh, uh, cases where, um QAnon influencers, uh, have created real world cults, have brought people out to the world. This is the case of negative 48. Um, and, uh, as we recently, we recently talked about with, uh, Mac Lemeroux from, uh, Vice, uh, Romana Didalu, the queen of Canada. These are, these are two instances, um, where, where these, you know, online influencers have amassed real world followings, have brought people out into the real world and upended in many cases their, their personal lives
1: yeah yeah i would i would say the closest thing that you know that QAnon has ever did to like uh you know a calling upon a flash mob to cause, you know, violence and chaos was January 6th. And that required president Trump himself to get involved and, um, and, and do, do this encouraging. And like you said, there are these, there are these, uh, breakaway cults. Um, there are spin off cults like negative 48 and, um, and, uh, Romana D'Elo's, uh, weird cult up in Canada that involved a great deal of, um, you know, of people going out in the real world and, uh, causing, causing problems. Um, but like, Generally, I would say like I you know, and, and the other thing I will say is like I I I would never deny that you know QAnon followers have uh, committed violence when motivated by QAnon belief. I, there has been literally murders, there's been kidnappings, uh, there's there there is a all the way back in June of 2018 there is a incident in which a um, man uh, had an armed standoff on the Hoover Dam bridge because he believed that there was a sort of a sort of, a secret OIG report that uh, that needed to be, re- be released and they got the idea from QAnon. So not to deny all of that, but at the same time, I I, I may have attended more live QAnon events than anybody on Earth. I, th- I stopped counting, but, but it's over a dozen. And um, I never really felt threatened at, at any of them. And this is usually the saving grace of QAnon. This is, again, this is, QAnon is an extremist movement. I would never deny that. But at the same time, they generally uh, one thing single saving grace is that they almost always believe that the violence that they want to have happen is going to be done by someone else so the law enforcement, by the military by some sort of authority and they believe that it's going to be more or less done through official channels rather than say revolutionary violence and, um, and so that's, uh, that has I think um, a sort of allowed and uh, prevented QAnon from being uh, as violent as an extremist movement as say white nationalism.
2: Well, and I would add to that, that uh, the potential for violence uh, grows exponentially when QAnon invites or intersects with more extremist groups. I will say the one time, uh, and I think Travis would probably agree, the one time I didn't feel safe at a QAnon event was when we went to a Hollywood Save the Children rally rally. And at that event, uh, they had teamed up with proud boys who were running security and, um, I definitely saw that uh, some of the Proud Boys who were running security uh, had knives on their belt, which is not illegal in California as long as it's uh, showing, you know, as long as it's showing and it's in a holster. I don't think you can get in trouble for that. Uh, But I would I would bet I would bet the farm that at least one or two of those guys uh, also had firearms on them concealed. I I would bet the farm on it. I didn't see it, uh, but knowing what I know about that group. And, um, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure, but I, it, that definitely felt, I was, I definitely felt, uh, not safe in that moment. So I think there is the possibility that when QAnon and, and in a lot of ways, um, you know, you could, you know, I think this was an element of January six as well, that when you're sort of, you know, Uh, you know, you're usually peaceful conspiracy theorists uh, team up with groups that are have been preparing for violence in one way or another. You know, they you know, it's that that wish that, you know, wish you would type of ideology. I I, I do think that there is uh, inherent danger there.
3: Jake, I have to say that, like, uh, you didn't feel safe at that rally but listening to you report from that rally i felt endangered myself yes. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 actually every time you guys went out to something i was like oh god who's going to be masking who's not going to be masking nobody of course is going to be masking yeah of course. Like it was during covid uh yeah it was really harrowing to uh, to actually listen to you hit the road uh and to do those events uh, internally we talked about doing similar things and it never came together and i don't i just don't think it's in my nature so anyway like kudos for the uh on the street bravery because 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 it really added an amazing amount to the um reporting uh i also wanted to pick up on something that you said that i haven't really considered before with regard to you know would the typical QAnon influencer encourage or indulge themselves in really rich gameplay or would they like offer consoles to people or whatever and, and the way you said it, I haven't really considered it before that there's actually an ascetic streak. There's like a really disciplined stick to the message, like we're only going to focus on this particular sort of these calms and nothing else. I haven't really thought about that aspect of it combined with the fact that so many of these people are really alone and isolated. They're living quite sequestered, almost monastic lives, uh, which is another aspect of the religiosity that I haven't thought about actually. Well, because gaming can be
2: a community as well. And if you are introducing or encouraging your followers to dip their toes into other communities, I mean, odds are, depending on what game you're playing, but odds are you're going to run into people with different ideologies. And, and that it, it feels good not to be scared all the time or losing All the time. I mean, if you're a QAnon follower, you you went into this hearing, you know, Donald Trump say we're going to keep winning and we're going to, oh, and you're going to be so sick of winning. You're going to be so sick of it. We're going to win so much. And all they've seen is loss. Yeah, they lost the they lost the election. Nobody, nobody from the DNC has been arrested but plenty of, you know, plenty of Republicans have uh, Donald Trump now facing, you know, however, you know, dozens and dozens of charges. You can tell yourself as much as you want that, like, oh, it's just around all this had to happen. Deep down inside, there's got to be a piece of you that's going, ah. Oh. I don't fucking know. And when you go into, uh, you know, when you get into a game, whether it's, uh, you know, you're playing with friends or you're exploring a story alone, you're getting more and more distance away from that. And what we've seen just anecdotally, and obviously we are not uh, qualified in any professional way to diagnose uh, how one exits for some from something like this. But anecdotally, what we've seen is that when people take a break, break when they when they focus on family or their friends or their community or they take a break from the internet and they're not always online reading and posting i've got a great story actually about this um my uh my wife's uh father in law um, was a diehard trump guy i mean ex marine vietnam vet uh when uh, the 2016 came election roll around. He was a Trump guy, um, but he's older dude. He's not on the internet at all. Doesn't post. He's not involved in that. He wouldn't know how to connect to 4chan or Reddit or Twitter, even if he wanted to. And over time, he sort of started to go, oh, I think this guy's an asshole. I don't know. I don't like the way that he talks about vets. Yeah, I don't I haven't seen him really do anything. And I watched in real time as this guy completely disconnected from the Trump ideology. And I was trying to think about it. I was like, well, what's different here? And the first thing that immediately came to mind is like, well, he's not connected to this online world in any way. He doesn't have a group of people online that are kind of puffing each other up and reassuring each other saying, no, 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 Actually, actually that idea that he's bad, that's, uh, that's you're, you're being brainwashed or, or, um, you know, that's what they want you to think. That's the narrative that they want you to do. There was no coercive sort of control online. And this guy just sort of disconnected on his own. And so I, I think that that is a, a a real risk for influencers in the QAnon sphere that it, more time spent away from discussing QAnon content or being in chat rooms or live streams where, you know, they're going over the message of the day. They're, you know, what's the news of the day? How can it be baked? Here's what this means. Did you guys see this story? Oh, what about this? Um, yada, yada, yada. I think there's a real chance that, that somebody might just lose interest and want to get on with their lives. So I don't know, t- take that for, for what, for what it is.
3: Well, I think it's a good place to segue into the next wave of, of sort of interest capture, uh, that we're seeing from the QAnon sort of mythos, which is, you know, the sound of freedom moment, uh, which feels like yet another turning point, In kind of the normalization of the QAnon mindset from both a news point of view and also uh, a media and entertainment point of view. So it's now now in its fifth week in theaters, uh, box office receipts are topping one hundred and fifty one million on a fourteen point five million dollar budget. Everyone's promoting it. Jordan Peterson Dana White, uh the Pope bashing Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, a Tradcath guy, Angel films is still running this pay-it-forward campaign, uh, but so far it hasn't earmarked any funds from its windfall to uh, help actual anti-trafficking efforts. Uh, Instead, it's offering to reimburse anti-trafficking nonprofits, perhaps like its own, for booking private screenings. But only if they fill the venue to (laughs) 70% capacity, which is amazing. It's Uh, gamified too. Yeah. and, and, And then Jim Caviezel is like... He continues to show up at pressers looking like a carved uh, wooden medieval Jesus statue that like miraculously secretes tears.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And and let me just say here to me, this, this film is like a spinoff of the reawaken America tour, you know, not only in terms of, uh, the, the QAnon adjacent themes, obviously it doesn't go like full, fully into them, but in terms of the the spectacle and the scam of it all, I know that you guys have really dug into it for your great episode on sound of freedom. Tell us the thumbnail sketch on Tim Ballard, operation underground railroad and this cash cow scam as i see it that is sound of freedom
1: sure so yeah so like tim ballard he, well his story was that he was a one-time agent for the department of homeland security where he says that he worked on a uh, as a as a jump team going and uh sort of re- rescuing children um now now the um now, the we do know that he worked for the Department of Homeland Security, but for some reason he's declined to release details about exactly the precise nature of the work he did while he was in that uh, that department. And according to him, he got sick of the fact that... Um, that uh, and that as an agent of the government, he couldn't, you know, just go overseas and start, you know, uh, uh, uh you know, shooting, uh, uh you know, people the, or, or arresting traffickers or like rescuing children or this, these, these kinds of things. Um, and so he quit his job and he started operation underground railroad to what in his, in his view, combat child trafficking. And this was based upon what was, uh, what was called the raid and rescue model, which is this vision of human trafficking in which uh, you know operators go to dangerous uh, conditions where the traffickers are, where the traffickers are, bus down doors, uh, you know, uh, uh, save uh, imprisoned children and bring the traffickers. To justice. Um, now, of course, human trafficking is, of course, a very real issue that like many uh, humanitarian, um, you know, organizations are actively fighting. But the thing is about that, his sort of version of like uh, the problem and the solution was very uh, dramatic and it had a great, had a great narrative, had a great, you know, it has very masculine. And so consequently, he got a lot of uh, fundraising and growth as a, as a consequence over the years. This was, uh, I think he found it all the way back in 2013 with help from uh, Glenn Beck, and so this particular um, and uh, this particular movie um, about his supposed story uh, has been in the works for years. It was actually this movie was completed, um, uh, "Sound of Freedom," starring. Uh, Cube-pilled uh, movie star Jim Caviezel was uh, finished only back in 2018, but was shelved, um, and and uh, consequently, uh, Angel Studios, which is a, a movie studio run by a couple a couple of Mormons, um, you know, uh, Tim Ballard also, is also Mormon, um, um, ha- um, helped bring it back to life, and and in a kind of a miracle, brought it to theaters. Now it's almost unheard of for a for a movie, you know, um, with a little bit of a sort of a Christian tinge. In the messaging, um, to have this wide of a release, and it's, it's also unheard of for a, you know a, a movie that's been shelved for this long to have this wide of a release. And yeah, it, w- it was quite a coup. Made over a hundred million dollars, last I heard. Now it's kind of unknown how much of that is actual customers, how much of it might be kind of laundered through this uh, this pay it forward program. Mm-hmm. But still, still, it was still uh, it was uh, it was a, it was a bigger hit than uh, I think anyone expected.
4: Yeah, I mean you got, you got to wonder if other movies. Movies are going to start having their stars at the end saying, scan the QR code now, buy more tickets for people who can't afford to come. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing that strikes me about about the story is that it's it's so sort of it's such such a bullshit kind of cowboy emotional self gratification thing to say, you know. Catching child traffickers and child pornographers is not enough. I want to go out there in the field and rescue individual children like that's going to make make a bigger difference somehow.
1: Well, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a more appealing story. I mean, it's like you um, as someone who is, you know, who is supposedly very competent and uh, and, uh, you know, um, responsible is going out and saving the most vulnerable people in the world from the greatest horrors in the world. That's a compelling story. Um, But one of the big problems with Tim Ballard is that he is well, he frankly, he's a bullshitter. You know, it was according to uh, great reporting by uh, by Anna Merland and others at uh, at Advice News. Um, he'll, for example, he'll claim that his organization rescued uh, a woman, uh, a girl who went by the name Liliana. When reality, she rescued herself. Mm. She is the one who 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 um, took the initiative to uh, free herself from her own trafficker. Um, and so this is this is the other thing. He, I mean, he's like it feels like Tim. Ballard knows the impact of a good story like that and he's willing to sort of like um, you know fudge the truth uh, sometimes a great deal mm-hmm. in order to make his organization seem you know, more important and impactful and heroic than it re- is in reality.
4: Yeah and let's not forget that all of that generates more and more fundraising dollars most of which appears to be you know just sitting in a bank account somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I also found the the bad guys in the film really cartoonish and they seem to be appealing to a kind of you know, white American Christian moral panicry. You've got the the f- sort of heavy set Colombian dudes with poncho Villa beards. Uh, one of them even has a limp, right? Very ominous. You've got the sinfully hot, skinny black Latina in lipstick and tight dresses. Uh, there's the little grotesquely grinning gay dude who looks like he's escaped from a David Lynch <laughs> film, right? He's got eyeliner on. <laughs> um, it just it, it really seems to be pandering to that particular kind of mindset.
1: I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, the uh, obviously they they want, uh, you know, the the issue of of, of trafficking uh, to uh, be a really uh you know, a pretty simple, like morality tales, like this happens because of the evil people, not say systemic failing and not because of, uh, you know, other factors. Uh, and they also don't want to, um, you know, they, they, it, yeah, so they, they, yeah, so they want to create this, 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 this kind of tale that, you know, falls in line with the idea that like, well, you know, the bad things happen because of the evil people, who are just just like hate God and are evil, and they'll be solved by the good people who love God.
4: Yeah, and not only that, the 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 fat Colombian guys with the beards are like Marxist revolutionaries, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah the end. He wound in the movie at least he wounds up rescuing a girl from uh, from some yeah you know, some rebels deep in the Colombian jungle.
4: Yeah, and leaving all the other kids that are there behind.
1: Yeah. So this kind of brings
2: me to my maybe sort of unpopular take on the movie, which is that it doesn't work. The reason I think that it's getting shared so widely by people like Jordan Peterson and all, and all of these other guys is because it's probably the most competent sort of quote-unquote action movie that the the Christian audience has gotten. You know, there is a clear beginning, middle, and end. It's pretty competently shot. It's decently acted, you know, compared to some of the other trash we've had to watch, like the Hunter Biden movie, which just doesn't understand how to, you know, how to tell a story. This is, to them, the best example of them making, you know, a, a, a tried-and-true-looking movie movie but it only works when you enter into the movie and you're the 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 emotion you have to supply the emotion in a lot of ways you have to go in and go oh man like yeah child trafficking i know that's horrible and i know that like these are bad people and they're really out there and so i am supplying the emotion that's carrying me through to the end of the film and making it effective. Um, but the film doesn't, the writing in the film does not do that for you. Like, and the example that I, that I had in, uh, the, that I, I gave when we were talking about it, I, I think in our episode is I was comparing it to Taken and I was like, Taken works because the movie starts out with Brian Mills, Liam Neeson's character, being a loser. He's working security. His wife has left him for this like rich kind of loser guy, uh, you know, who can't beat people up, uh, you, you know, twelve at a time. Um, his, you know, he can provide for his daughter a lot, be- you know, a lot better than Liam Neeson can. He's kind of a pariah. He's like the deadbeat dad, and so when his daughter gets taken and he. He has an opportunity to really prove himself, you are along for an emotional journey. And it is in Many ways, so much more effective. This fictitious, you know, uh, you know, this fictitious uh, story about child trafficking, as opposed to one that is based off, um, you know, Tim Ballard's uh, alleged real life claims. Um, there is no emotional arc for Jim Caviezel's character in the movie. He starts the movie being disgusted and hate and and hating child trafficking as as one should, um, and that basically does not change anything that could possibly be human in the story like his wife uh, conversations with his wife saying hey like do you really want to leave your job hey we all you would have needed is a couple scenes of her going through uh, overdue bills you know worrying about uh, they might lose the house all of this stuff it had no human element baked into the story and and it completely relied on the audience coming in with this belief that they are about to see something horrible and this is like really this and it happens in real life and I'm I'm oh go god you you know and so on that level I think that this movie uh, is is only going to reinforce the beliefs of people who are kind of already there. I, I don't think your average person is going into the movie and coming out a QAnon believer. It just doesn't. It just doesn't have the juice in 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 that regard of following this emotional story, realizing what what Ballard uh, has sacrificed and and left on the table. He gave everything up to you know go find this girl. He abandoned his own family. You know. His like twelve Mormon children, you know, <laughs> his like blonde, you know, like uh, uh, you know, kids that you see, you know, for a fraction of a second in the film. There's, there's none of that, like. All of the conversations with his wife are like 15 seconds long, and they kind of fade out in what feels like the middle of what the scene was. It was it was as if the filmmakers were like, "Oh, we don't have time for any of that." And coincidentally, that's the important stuff. So I I, I don't know. My my feeling about this is that it's doing so well because it's the best example of what Christians have to point to. Is like, see, we can make good move. We can make a movie, and it's good, and it's art, and we can make it, and look who we got? We got Jim Caviezel. And,
4: and, and we've got Mira Sorvino for those truncated, like, weird drive-the-plot-forward scenes, and she's an Oscar winner.
2: Oh, my God. You didn't even... Yeah, like there is none of the there there was just none and 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 if you're to believe the that these things really happened, these would be major conversations. I don't want you going over there. It's dangerous. What about your family here? You can't leave your you're giving it up your pension before? No, no, I have to I have to get these I have to get it because if I don't you know, there is none of that in the movie. It was just following the traffickers from point A to point B to setting up the trap to getting them and they trap and they trap them there. there's no stakes unless you supply them yourself. And I'm sorry, but that's not the job of the audience. So
4: ultimately she's a good tread wife.
2: Sure. She just kind of nods and goes, yeah, whatever you want to do, honey. Yes. I'm, I'm terrified of you. Um, sure. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's kind of my, and maybe that's like my writery, sort of thing on it. But I went and I watched and at first I was like, oh, this looks pretty competent. Uh, They know how to they know how to frame a shot. It it sounds good. You know, Caviezel is fine. You know, I mean, it's no it's no like how he was in Thin Red Line, which is like one of my favorite favorite movies. Um, But you know, over the course of the movie, I was just kind of bored. It was just, there was, I, I I don't know. It didn't, I was kind of expecting it to be this very scary thing. Travis and I had been talking about it for months beforehand. Are they going to show the Adrena Comb Farms? How far are they going to go? How pillable is this movie going to be? Oh shit. It's getting this wide release. Is this going to be the, the great awakening moment? And I just, I just don't think it's there.
3: You, you know, I, that's very compelling to me, Jake, And I think you're pointing out one of the paradoxes of QAnon discourse, because on one side, uh, you know, as you described in your own kind of indoctrination into excitement about the story back in uh, 2018 or whenever this is, Mm -hmm. uh, that the storytelling element is crucial for you. And uh, but then there's this other kind of discourse that emerges amongst the Anons who maybe are not quite sure of what's happening or they're faced with one loss or disappointment after another. And the refrain comes up over and over again, it's okay, all you have to do is enjoy the show. And I think that the filmmakers perhaps had this flawed um, sense that all people had to do was watch Caviezel Stare longingly into the camera with his stony face, and everybody would know and identify with him. They would already be there; that they didn't have to take the audience on the journey, as you said, uh, because there's a passive element to the digital warriorship as well, right? Yes, yeah, I, that that's
2: that's totally it. It 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 relies on you on you going oh like I know what I believe about this stuff and I'm just I'm sort of transplanting my own emotions and my own beliefs onto this nice looking uh, thing that's sort of presented in front of me for for 2 hours and fucking 15 minutes I my god it was already too long but but yeah, where where is like you look at something like Taken, and you know what's at stake. You know what's at stake. There's this. There's that amazing moment where you know Liam Neeson asks the stepdad, like, "Well, are you gonna do? Are you gonna do anything about this?" And the guy is frozen, and and you're like, "Oh fuck yeah, Neeson's gonna go!" And then every bad guy that he's punching his way through to get to his daughter, you're filled with it because you are rooting for him. There's no the the filmmakers don't give you any reason to root for Caviezel or, or or Tim Ballard in the film other than that y- you already are rooting for them because you you know that child trafficking is disgusting you hate it and you just want to go see the see the images and and you want to see
3: really you want to see your idealized self right? You want to see yourself doing the things that you know that the anti-child trafficker hero does. Mm -hmm. And that's all Caviezel does. And maybe that's why he has to be blank. It almost makes me think of like, he's a weird twisted link in Zelda or something like that, who doesn't (laughs) speak, you know, who's like hardly even there. And anybody can pretend that they're Link. And maybe that's Jim Caviezel's mastery actually, is that he's a total blank slate. Yeah. There's this moment in the movie that
2: should be like, really tense and crazy. And that's when they're on the Island and the sort of head cartel guy grabs one of the boys and starts to walk off towards like an isolated cabana and Caviezel goes up to, to stop him. And, um, one of the goons, you know, pulls, pulls out a gun and puts it to his head. And this is supposed to be an incredibly tense, you know, an incredibly (laughs) tense (laughs) moment, um, but it's not at all. The gun looks fake one. Um <laughs> <Right>. it- <laughs> The guy doesn't know how to hold it too. Um, you know, you know that he's not going to let the kid go. You know, you know, he's not going to let the kid go off with the guy. It's going to he's it's going to get saved. It's just any moment that that could potentially there's there's another moment where uh, the, the FBI or, or the the uh, Department of whoever, I don't know, uh, pulls out funding from this, you know, uh, island that they're they're going to rent uh, through the use of this billionaire who's willing to help them. And there's a conversation where the billionaire is like, well, hey man, like you said that this was, you said that uh, I'm, I was only into this because it was like government backed, you know. I, you know, I, I I can't do now. That's a huge problem. That is a conflict. Um, that is something that movies are made of. You have your entire operation hinging on this guy being a part of it, and um, <laughs> you know, and 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 now he's he's pulling out. What are you going to do? You have the whole sting set up. What are you going to do? Um, and then like five minutes later in the movie, the guy just shows up at his hotel room and he's like, "I'm actually in." You know, any moment, any it's like if you're already embellishing which we know tim ballard did just based on what we really know about some of these operations versus what was represented in the movie if you're already embellishing then why not embellish uh you you know you know the 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 elements that actually have conflict that are going to really emotionally like you're you're going into that movie with an emotion and you're coming out with the exact same emotion that you had going in. It was just kind mm-hmm. of reinforced, you know? It was just, it, you're, you're at this baseline sort of disgust for, for uh, you know, these types of crimes. And and I think that that's a good thing for all of us because had the movie had these emotional arcs and really amplified the emotion and, and people left the theater, you know, sort of more riled up or somebody who's not necessarily pilled or conservative goes in and and turns to their liberal friends and say how, you know, how could you you know how could you uh you know how could you make fun of this guy or how could you sh- share an article saying that what he did wasn't true like this is, do you know what he went through do you know what he did you're not gonna
4: have that i don't think with this film yeah yeah it's not it, he's not gonna become the new schindler no where everyone's just no like, oh my god you know i was i was watching the film probably similar to you guys with that kind of eye, like how is, is this working? And I was looking around me. I I saw it in a, in a local theater here in Marina del Rey. Uh, and I noticed the audience seemed to be predominantly female. Um, and then there were like some little couples, uh, which which seemed like maybe husband and wife couples. There were some little groups. Uh, there were many little gasps. Uh, it seemed to me that most of the audience was Latin. So that was interesting. There were little whispered Spanish, you know, oaths of astonishment here and there. Ay ay ay, kind of moments. Um there there was definitely dismay, but I also noticed that several times in the movie there there were sniffles, there there were people who were clearly having a little moment of of tears. And then there's that, that fourth wall moment at the end where Jim Caviezel is just sitting, looking right at, at us and telling us, you know, that this is the worst, this is like the modern slavery and it has to be abolished. And the way for you to do this is to use the QR code on the screen to buy more tickets that you can give away to people who can't afford to it, or that you can, you can, you know, have invite your friends to come and see. Um, what did you notice? Like what, what were the dynamics when you saw it in the theater?
1: i mean yeah i mean the it it was people for it. It was full of people who were uh, very engaged. I mean, the particular theater I went to, it was like a it was a matinee on a, on a on a weekday in a, in a kind of backwater town, so it wasn't that full. But the the people who did attend, I mean, they for example like applaud, applauded after uh, Jim Caviezel gave that speech, yeah. and so they were they were very engaged, that, and that that sort of speaks to the fact that the people who do support this movie don't see it as an entertainment film; they see it as a uh, kind of like activism. Uh, the the belief that if people simply uh, watch this movie, then they will have a greater appreciation of this uh, global horror of child trafficking.
4: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I I don't know that people applauded in my theater, but most people were holding up their phones to scan that QR code, right?
2: Yeah, I didn't really. I mean, I saw it in like Burbank, um, <laughs> and. You know, it was a I mean, for a matinee, it was pretty full. I I had gotten into a little bit of a conversation uh, with a guy uh, in the line for the um, butter topping (laughs) that you put on your popcorn. (laughs) <laughs> and he had brought either a female friend or a girlfriend or maybe his wife i don't know but he was exactly the type of guy who i thought you know would be uh going to this movie you know the big chunky cargo shorts uh you know you know the the sort of operator shades and you know um you know the the woman that he was with was saying oh should i i i don't know if i should put the butter topping on i'm just i'm so nervous to go see this film and she turned to the guy and she and she was like and he's he's your friend right he said oh well you you know i i donated to uh my friend rick who works with uh he's worked with uh tim in the past so i was like okay so first people i meet going into this are like definitely insiders or or you know wanna wanna be insiders um and yeah, you know, there was a couple sort of like gasps at some of the more heinous stuff, you know, when you see, you know, you know, honestly, the best thing that this movie has going for it other other than um, uh, 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 Vampiro are the kids. The kids are actually really good actors in the film. And to me, the most powerful moment of the movie is probably within the first 10, 15 minutes is when the father takes his children to, you know, this fake audition that's being used as a sort of um, setup to to kidnap the kids in the first place. And there's a scene where they they put the girl in front of the camera and and the sort of, you know, attractive uh, female trafficker who becomes a main player later on is making her put her hair down and she's putting lipstick on her. And that, to me, I felt something because I know that that's real and I know how, especially, you know, um, working in the entertainment industry, how, you know, children can be, um, there's a potential to be over sexualized or to, you know, grow up quicker uh, than they, than they should. Um, and, and that seemed to be also where the audience was at least audibly in uh, for good reason. I, I thought that was probably the the most effective moment in, in, in the movie was, was, was th- this, this, you know, young girl, uh, being sexualized, uh, in front of this photography camera. Um, but other than that, I mean, it was, I don't know. Maybe my own boredom uh, is sort of, you know, fogging fogging my view, but it didn't feel like there was a ton of tension in the theater. It didn't feel like, you know, it wasn't like when I saw uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last weekend where the audience, young and old, were so in. They were gasping at the action scenes. They were, uh, y- you know, laughing at the jokes. There was this there was this beautiful communal moment you you know I was was sitting next to my wife and then you know to the right of us were like three you know young kids probably I don't know ages you know five to five to ten and we were all in it together enjoying it I didn't feel that communal thing it sort of felt like everybody was having their own sort of individual kind of experience Um, Mine boredom and maybe others in their uh, 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 sort of uh, um, reassurance, uh, that their anger is placed in, 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 you know, in the right direction. Uh, but, but I just, yeah, I walked out of it. I walked into it sort of worried that this was going to be good. Um, and that it was going to be big in the same way that I worried about QAnon, you know, in, in the early stages. And I walked out of it going, eh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and that's not the reaction that I was sort of expecting to have.
0: One great offshoot of your podcast is Man Clan. And I know that's piloted by Annie Kelly and Julian Field, but you cover the Liver King, you cover semen retention. And it's one of my favorite things that the whole QAA world has produced because it's really excellent. And I want to know. Where does Tim Ballard and or Jim Caviezel fit into the pantheon of Man Clan figures?
1: Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously he's projecting this um, this very militaristic um, view of masculinity, like I like I said earlier, that that is intensely focused on protecting the most vulnerable people uh, who are in the worst situations. So it is is a sort of a, I guess a knight in shining shining armor kind of view of masculinity. So I think. It uh, he's he's be able, he's been able to ride that to a great deal of success.
2: Yeah, if you look at Tim, you look at Tim Ballard. He's you know a beefy guy. You know, there's often images of him in like a flak jacket. You know, he's like the people's soldier. You know, for the children, which you know, which is definitely what he wants to. You know, what he wants to uh, convey. Yeah. Does he does he have his own sort of circle of worship like some of these masculine influencers have i don't know i think i think that gets cloudy because human trafficking is real and it is awful and it's definitely something that we all should be concerned about uh, both on a civilian level and on a politician and and, and law enforcement level so it's, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit cheap because it, you're positioning yourself uh, to be fighting something that really deserves to be, uh, you know, fought. And, and so, uh, uh, on the one hand, it's, you know, you, you're sort of kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, gifted into a, a little bit of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sort of, uh admiration and and respect because who in their right mind would uh you know try to try to insult someone or or take them down uh who who has devoted their life they 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 you know they claim uh you know in in some ways more than others to to you know combating this horrific thing so I don't know. I mean, he he's definitely not turning those people off. Um, But uh, are there you know, are there a dedicated group of of, you know, uh, Ballard stands? Probably. Um, But is it concentrated like the liver king? I I don't know. I don't know if if Tim's online presence is consistent enough to warrant that kind of uh, following. But, but who knows? It, it, it might be out there. It might be growing. It might grow uh, stronger after this film, I think remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, I contrasted, um, in, uh, earlier one time I contrasted the work of uh, Operation Underground Railroad, which often involves, you know, creating media and telling stories of dramatic rescues um, against the work of uh, Casa de Amparo. And this is a San Diego-based um, organization that provides um, uh, housing, food, and counseling to children who are uh, come from abusive circumstances. And this is, you know, this is a, this is very, uh, you know, sensitive work because and it involves you know just uh, providing someone a child who is in who is uh, coming from a, a very terrible circumstances the a, play, a safe place to live, food to eat, counseling, um, some stimulation, trip to the beach. And it's not very it's not as cool it's not as cool as you know flying to uh uh South American countries and busting down doors but it's, but but um and it's and it's uh but it's, and it's not it's not dramatic enough to make a movie about. But it's far more crucial for uh, helping children if you're serious about it. But you don't hear about it because, again, it does involve, uh, you know, these these kinds of like dramatic tales of, uh, you know, brave ex-DHS agents who are willing to, you know, uh, do what it takes to, uh, you know, rescue children or whatever.
2: Tim Ballard, you know, as a figure is it probably would be more universally sort of celebrated if we didn't know so much about him, <laughs> you know, the idea that he sells, you know, sells slots on the helicopter to wealthy, you know, wealthy people who, who kind of want to come along for the ride and the race there's, there's something that, um, it, which is interesting because we're, 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 we're talking about this sort of this, this group's foray into Hollywood, but there is a kind of Hollywood element to the group already. You know, the raids haven't gone exactly as they've said, the rescues aren't exactly what they've made them out to be. Um, the, the, you know, journalists, uh, and researchers have, have wondered, you know, does this do, uh, more harm than good? You know, there, there is a case of, uh, you know, uh, Ballard claiming to rescue somebody who uh was uh just a sex worker and didn't necessarily want to be re- rescued um and, and and i think that these elements are you know make his his story it, it does it it almost has that for show element which i think to reasonable people makes you question the motives or in, in in a lot of ways sort of detracts from the the real problem that they claim to be going after
3: you know both of you have brought up points that make our ending sequence here make a lot of sense because i i i've created we've created some questions about how we manage ourselves in the real world and so the section here in our document is called um, Blowback and Mental Health. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to ask you first, uh, moving away from Sound of Freedom and away from the screen stuff, uh, Travis, you're doing a lot of wildlife photography.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I have a, I have an Instagram. It's, uh, it's called uh, Logan Strained Photography. Logan Strained is my real name. So, yeah, I post my photos there.
3: And... Is that helping make this podcast work sustainable?
1: <laughs> I, it absolutely is. Um, uh, like the, the the way I always phrase it is that uh, like somehow uh, because of circumstances, my day job has uh, turned into uh, finding ugliness online. And so to contrast against this, I found a hobby that requires me to find beauty in the physical world. And, um, and so what I, what I, what I, what I, and the, the problem is, is that like, you know, it's like I've, I've, I've spent you know, a, a lot more time online and on the internet than uh, perhaps I should have over the past couple of decades. And uh, I've enjoyed it. I've met people, I've learned things. It's been, I've, it's been, it's been enriching for me. I'll say this, but there's the, there's this risk. Um, you know, there's this cognitive fallacy called, you know, what you see is all there is. You become convinced that because you read all this posts um, and see all this content that you just have a complete and total understanding of the world because, of all the information that's being funneled to you every single day, and it's just not true. It's actually a quite uh, myopic and limited view of the world. Regardless of how much content you consume online, um, you need to be able to um, you know engage with things that are a little bit more physical. And now this might be a hobby that involves physical materials like yarn or leather, or this might be you know um, you know something something else. But for me, it was just going on walks and photography.
3: Now, Jake, I haven't heard you discuss. Any outdoor activities or you know canoeing or kayaking or anything like that, <laughs> um, but you do do these anti-conspiracy theory radio plays called Jake Stories, which sure. seem to be which seem to be really cathartic, and so I'm wondering if they help you manage this work, uh, if they are enough. Sure, I mean, you know
2: the the thinking behind those was if all of this stuff is kind of made up anyways. Could I also make up a story, um, that sort of pokes fun, uh, at, uh, these ideologies or the people who have sort of structured their, their lives around them. And, um, you know, I mean, definitely creative writing is, uh, certainly, uh, an outlet for me, you know, we, we do the podcast and stuff, but I, am also writing uh, screenplays on the side and, um, uh, taking on projects uh, that have nothing, nothing or, or little to do with conspiracy theories. Now, sometimes some of that, that work, uh, uh, bleeds in, but now I, I've also taken the much more, um, uh, sort of uh, uh, expensive route of of uh, seeing a therapist for the last, uh, I don't know, two and a half years. Yeah, excellent choice. That's been really helpful because, you know, there's, you know, I, I found myself, uh, you know, probably around, I don't know, right around when COVID, uh, when, when COVID sort of hit, you know, with the onset of the world changing in such a dramatic way. And, you know, me being a little bit of a hypochondriac as well, you know, didn't help. Um, also the, the success of the podcast was, you know, something that I, de- I never expected to happen. And, um, you know, to, to have my life and, and career change so drastically, I, I stor- sort of started to disassociate a little bit and, and the kind of content that we look, that we look at, uh, you know, on a regular basis, uh, um, aids in that, uh, disassociation. So I, I found a great guy, um, who I started talking to and, um, Yeah, that's, that's been really helpful. I play a lot of video games. Um, I write music. Um, I try to aim my creative, uh, sort of brain at things that are positive. Um, and that, and and i think that the the stories um and definitely the the new series that i'm doing with our 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 uh, co-host um brad abrahams is definitely in that line is is try to aim the storytelling machine at something that is um not inherently harmful um something that that still inspires wonder that isn't attached to politics um like travis said i you know i don't think the human brain is uh, you know has evolved to read um everybody's opinion all at once and a lot of times when you turn off the phone or you close twitter or you close reddit or you close the discord or tell whatever it is whatever it is you're on you 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 look up and out to a world that is very different uh than what you see online and i think that it is important for us uh, as a species to remember um, that 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 is real you know not to say that what's happening online and people's opinions aren't real they 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 are there is somebody the behind that phone typing into an on-screen keyboard um or you know maybe a, a desktop keyboard if 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 they're not on you know iPad or iPhone um but it's I don't know it's kind of got nothing to do with you at the end of the day and I I, I try to remember that as as much as possible and you know who you are is more so what you're out in the world doing as opposed to what you're posting and uh, I I try to maintain a healthy balance sometimes you just got to delete the app for a while and and take a break and I encourage everybody to do that if you're getting to a point where
3: you're waking up mad Jake and Travis uh, this has been awesome Thank you so much for your time. Uh, fantastic to talk to you. Uh, and thank you for all of your amazing work that you've that you've done on this uh, subject for all of these years. It's really, really been helpful for me personally and I know for a lot of other people. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, guys. Yeah, our pleasure. Seriously, this has been a
2: wonderful conversation. We should do it again.
4: Thanks. I second all of that. Really appreciate it. Yeah,
0: it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Conspirituality. We'll see you here over the weekend for a brief on Monday for our bonus episode and next Thursday for our main feed feature.